A Merry Christmas. Merry yeah. Christmas. Kids, are you excited? It is Christmas. Now, as it probably is in many of your own cultures, the Christmas tradition in the United States is for family and friends to exchange Christmas presents. It is a particular tradition for parents to place gifts underneath a Christmas tree that will be in the home and for kids to rush to that Christmas tree on Christmas morning in order to open their presents. It's a time of great joy. It's a time of great joy for the kids. It's a time of great joy for the family. And that is because there is joy in both giving gifts and receiving gifts. There's a great joy that comes in giving gifts. As a, as a parent, I think I've felt that joy more than any other time in my life. It's a joy to see the, the happiness on my kids' faces as they get to unwrap their gifts. There's certainly a joy in receiving gifts, especially for kids. Now, oftentimes, parents wrap the Christmas presents early in the United States, and they'll leave them under the tree for several days in advance of Christmas just to torture their children. Now, really, it's not to torture their children. It's to build anticipation. It's to celebrate the joy. But on Christmas Day, the anticipation is finally over. The anticipation is finally over, and you can see the eager joy on the faces of, their kids, of those kids as they finally get to open their presents. And I'm slightly embarrassed to admit, when I was a young child, there was a, at least one Christmas where I woke up well before dawn and had to just wait around for several hours for my parents to get up because I was so excited for Christmas. Uh, the point is that there is both a joy in, in giving gifts, and there's joy in receiving gifts. You can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. You can also find that text on the last page of your bulletin if you would like. Now you might be surprised that for the Christmas sermon this morning, we're not studying the birth of Jesus or one of the many Old Testament passages like the one in Isaiah that we just read that, that promised his coming. We're actually continuing our series through the book of Luke. So our text for this morning comes right in the middle of of Jesus's earthly ministry. In fact, probably closer to the end of his life. But the reason that we are studying these verses this morning and not going somewhere else in the Bible is because in God's providence, the verses that we come to in Luke's gospel this morning reveal both the purpose of Jesus's incarnation or the purpose of him taking on human flesh and coming to earth. And they also reveal the joy of the incarnation. There is joy for Jesus as he rejoices to reveal the Father and to see him glorified. We see that Jesus rejoices in his role in the plan of redemption. He rejoices in what he gets to give to humanity. And there is joy to whom God has been revealed. There is joy to those whom salvation has come. The anticipation is over. The Savior has come. As the angels proclaimed at Jesus' birth, his coming is good news of great joy for all the people. So please follow along as I read in Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, 
and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then, turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but did not see them. To hear the things you hear, but did not hear them. Friends, the the main idea of this text and therefore this sermon is that the revelation of God is reason for great rejoicing. The revelation of God is reason for great rejoicing. And brothers and sisters, I will just go ahead and tell you up front, the main application for you this Christmas morning is simply to rejoice in and worship your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have two points to help us consider this text and that idea this morning. The first is joy in giving. Joy in giving, or we might say joy in revealing. And then second, joy in receiving. That's the first, joy in giving from verses 21 and 22. Our verses open by saying that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Is that not an amazing statement in and of itself? It gets such a clear picture of the, the triune nature of God in these verses. The Bible reveals that there is one God who exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, each of whom are fully and equally God, and each of whom participate in all the work of the one God. We see that here. God the Spirit is empowering God the Son to carry out the work of salvation given by God the Father, all to the praise of the one glorious God. We see it in Jesus' birth. The Father sent Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary, which happened when the Spirit of God came upon her. Friends, one God, three persons. That's a glorious mystery. In our verses for this morning, Jesus was rejoicing over God's glorious plan of redemption. He was specifically praising the Father that it was the Father's good pleasure or His plan to reveal, reveal his salvation, well, not to the wise and the intelligent, but to infants. That's really what these things mentioned in verse 21 are referring to. It's referring to all that has been revealed about salvation that is coming, that has come in Jesus Christ. Jesus has been revealed as the Messiah, the eternal Son of God who, has, who had come to reveal the Father and to deliver sinful people from Satan's grasp. I just remember back to our verses for last week. Jesus told the disciples, Jesus told his disciples that they were to rejoice that their names had been written in heaven, that they had been delivered from the domain of darkness, and that they had been transferred into the kingdom of light. And God's plan of salvation had been revealed. Jesus had come. The Savior was here. And this salvation was not revealed to the wise and in the intelligent, the powerful, or the influential, but to infants. That is to say, to the lowly and to the humble. And friends, is this not the story of Jesus' birth? Is this not the story of Christmas? Jesus' mother Mary was not of noble birth. No, she was one of the the lowly and the ordinary people of Israel. But God revealed himself to her through the angel Gabriel. And she had the blessing of being the mother of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
As we have just sung, Jesus was born a king. But he was not born in a palace, but in a lowly manger. His birth was not announced to the, the rich or the wealthy or the influential of society. I find it funny that whenever something big happens in the UAE or like Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, like all the rulers exchange greetings with one another. Uh, they congratulate each other on each national day. That's not how Jesus' birth was announced. It was revealed to the lowly and dirty shepherds in the fields. Friends, Jesus' birth is a humble story. The God of glory coming in humility to take on human flesh. Friends, this humility is also the pattern of Jesus' ministry on earth. Those who Jesus called to be his disciples were not the rich. They were not the influential. They were not those who were thought of in society as wise and intelligent. They were not those who were esteemed by the world. No, they were fishermen and tax collectors. Jesus himself faced rejection in his earthly ministry rather than glory. Jesus performed miracle after miracle, proving that he was God in the flesh. But most people refused to believe. Those who were considered the wise and the intelligent, the political and religious leaders of Jesus' day, they largely rejected Jesus. And they would eventually put Jesus to death. Friends, Jesus' ministry on earth was, was marked by humility. It was marked by associating with the lowly. Now make no mistake, Jesus is fully God. He is the exalted head over all things, the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things, whether visible or invisible, have been created. And he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Yet what do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate that this man, this God, humbled himself and came to earth as a helpless baby. And just stop to think a minute for how, about how helpless a baby is. Stop to think about how helpless a baby is. And marvel at the fact that this is how the Lord of the universe came to earth. And Jesus took on human flesh. He experienced the, the helplessness of infancy, the difficulties and sufferings of life on earth. And yet he did it all without sin. And ultimately he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He came to serve and not be served. He came to give and not receive. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven to willingly suffer. He hung bruised and bloody on a Roman cross where he gave his life to pay for our sins, though he himself had committed no sin. And friends, he did it out of love that all who repent of their sins and place their faith in him might be forgiven, reconciled to God, and given new and everlasting life in him. And friends, God the Father honored Jesus' humility. Because three days after he died, he rose again, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He has been given the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yet the wise and the intelligent, the influential and the powerful, 
The political and religious leaders of the day rejected him and scorned his humble sacrifice. And friends, is not the same thing true in our own day. At least where I am from, it's becoming increasingly fashionable to be an atheist. Very few of the leading scientists, scholars, intellectuals of the world believe in Jesus. I'm not sure I could name one world leader who is a Christian. There may be one. I'm not sure I could name one. These things have not been revealed to the wise and the intelligent, but to the lowly and the humble, to infants. Friends, the, the truth is that we do not find our way to God based on human wisdom or might. We do not find our way to God based on human wisdom or might. As we see in these verses, God must reveal himself to us. And praise be to God, he did. Now friends, this stands in contrast to every other religion or system of belief on this earth. All other religions teach that people must somehow find their way up to God. They must earn their way to God. They must make themselves worthy of God. But not Christianity. Well, it's not uncommon to hear various people and even some religious leaders say something like this. All the different religions of the world are just different pathways leading up to the top of the same mountain. They're just different ways of seeking after God. Hinduism is one path. Buddhism, another. Islam, another. Christianity, yet another. We're just all trying to figure out how to get to the top of the mountain. All trying to figure out how to get to God. But friends, that is not the teaching of Christianity. In fact, the the Bible teaches that only those who are morally pure can ascend to the mountain of God. And that rules all of us right out. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot find our way to God by our good works, or by our wisdom, or by our strength. Friends, God had to come down and rescue us. And that is just what he did. This is why Jesus is the only way of salvation. Friends, he blazed the trail to God by humbling himself and leaving heaven to come down to us. Our God has come near. Friends, that is what we celebrate at Christmas. And so in our verses, Jesus is saying that he only reveals the Father to those who are humble in spirit. To those who see themselves as helpless as infants. Those infants who must be carried and fed and changed, who need everything done for them. Friends, if you are to come to Jesus, you must see yourself in this way. God reveals himself to those who see their inability to work their way to God and who see their need for a savior. The wise and the intelligent are not ruled out, but they must humble themselves. They must come to God as a helpless baby. Jesus reveals himself to those who come to him with childlike faith, a faith that is eager to to learn and to follow. Friends, Jesus came as a helpless baby. And that is how we must come to him. But friends, perhaps surprisingly, perhaps paradoxically, perhaps in a way that is hard to understand, that is good news of great joy. Because it means that you do not have to clean yourself up to find God's forgiveness. You do not have to make yourself worthy to be accepted by God. 
In fact, you cannot make yourself worthy. Jesus came to rescue those who are unworthy. Friends, you can come to him as you are. You may not stay as you are. Jesus gives people new life and he calls them to follow him in repentance and faith. But friends, you may come as you are. All you have to do is humble yourself by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in him. So when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would give birth to Jesus, we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 52, that she, like Jesus in our verses, began praising God. And this is part of what she said. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, the Apostle Paul wrote, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing. To bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. Brothers and sisters, the fact that God chooses the weak and foolish in the world. And that God reveals himself to the humble and lowly. That should be a comfort to you if you feel insignificant in this world. It should be a comfort to you if you feel overlooked, forgotten, perhaps even abandoned by those whom you love. Friends, it should be a comfort to us as a church as we drive down a trash-filled alley every week to make our way to church. In the world's eyes, we seem small, insignificant, Unimportant. I doubt most of the people, even in Fujera, know we exist. But Jesus does not reveal himself to those who pride themselves in their wisdom, or strength, or intelligence, or influence, or worldly power. Friends, we may not be, be much in the world's sight, but we are precious in God's sight. And Jesus is building us up along with other weak and insignificant people from around the world into an everlasting kingdom that will never perish and will not fade away. Friends, God works in this way and reveals himself in this way that he might receive all the glory. This is why Jesus was praising the Father. He was rejoicing that God's sovereign plan was being accomplished. That God the Father would receive all the glory and honor and praise because he had revealed himself not to the wise or the powerful or the influential, but to the humble. That was not the only reason for Jesus' rejoicing. Jesus also rejoiced in his role in carrying out the Father's good pleasure. He rejoiced that he was the giver, the revealer of the Father. Look at verse 22. All things have been entrusted to Jesus. All things have been given to Jesus. All judgment has been given to the Son. We saw that last week. He will one day return to judge the living and the dead. But look at the end of verse 22. The Father has given Jesus the authority to reveal him to whoever Jesus desires or wills. As the eternal Son of God, Jesus is the agent of God's revelation. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. 
the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the revelation of God, the one by whom we can know God, the one who, by the power of the Spirit, gives us knowledge and understanding of God. Friends, we cannot know God apart from Jesus, and Jesus reveals the Father to those whom he chooses. Friends, salvation is a gracious and a sovereign gift of God. We are the recipients. Salvation does not come through any human effort or human work or, friends, even human will, but by the will of the one and only triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We cannot know God unless Jesus reveals him. Salvation is the the gracious and the sovereign work of God. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Friends, if you are here and you are a Christian, you are not saved because of your goodness or your wisdom or your might. You were saved by grace. Praise be to God. If you are a Christian, God has saved you by his grace for his glory. And friends, he has saved you that you might share in his joy. When God adopts us into his family, he invites you to share in his eternal joy. This is what we get to look forward to in heaven. As one pastor put it, the Father is eternally joyful. The Son is eternally joyful. The Spirit is eternally joyful. And we will enter into their joy. Heaven is the place of pure joy. Pure delight, where nothing disappoints. Nothing diminishes joy. It is unassailable joy because this is God. Salvation comes with the present joy of knowing Jesus. It also comes with the eternal joy of sharing in the joy of our triune God. This is why Jesus' birth is good news of great joy. As As the wonderful hymn, How Great Thou Art, proclaims, When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, My God, how great thou art. God's glory is Christ's joy, which means our joy is Christ's joy. Jesus rejoices in the giving and the revealing. And we get to rejoice in the receiving. This is where we turn our attention in the the next point of the sermon. Joy in receiving. Look again at verses 23 and 24. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but did not see them. To hear the things you hear, but did not hear them. So the first two verses of our text, Jesus had been offering a prayer of praise to the Father. But in these last two verses, he turned and spoke privately and directly to his disciples. 
And in doing so, he made it clear that his incarnation was not just reason for him to rejoice, it was reason for his disciples to rejoice as well. And Christian, it is reason for you to rejoice. There is joy in receiving the revelation of God. Jesus told his disciples that they were blessed or privileged to see the things they had seen. They were blessed to be eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. They were blessed to get to see the long-promised Messiah. Now, kids, can any of you name the scientist who drew something like a design for the helicopter in the 1500s? So hundreds of years before helicopters or airplanes were ever invented, there was a scientist who drew something that looked much like a modern-day helicopter. Any of you think of it? Well, I haven't heard it yet. It was Leonardo da Vinci. Now, he did not have it fully figured out. The technology did not exist at the time for him to, to bring what he designed to fruition. But he had some idea of what was possible. He thought it was possible that man could fly. And he had even some idea of how it might happen. Actually, not too long ago, a team of engineering students built a drone using a modified version of da Vinci's design, and they were actually able to get it to fly. Well, friends, just imagine how much Leonardo da Vinci would have enjoyed seeing our day, where thousands of airplanes and helicopters take to the sky every day. He would get to see the fulfillment of what he only vaguely saw in his imagination. As far as I know, none of us in this room design or fly airplanes for a living. Yet even just us ordinary people, we get to see his vision now come to life. Well, this is the disciples. God had given insight to prophets and and kings of, of old that a savior, a Messiah would come. And just think of the verses we read from Isaiah, who lived hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, but had insight into the Messiah who had come. Well, they could not see the full picture. They didn't know what the Messiah would look like. I'm not sure they all realized it would be God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. But they longed to see the day when God would redeem his people. They knew a redeemer was coming. But the ordinary and the lowly disciples, they got to see that day. They got to see what Abraham and Moses and Elijah and David and Isaiah and Ezekiel and the list goes on and on. They got to see what all those people longed to see. They lived in the time of fulfillment. Mary got to see it. She lived in the time of fulfillment. They lived to see God's kingdom come. Well, friends, we do not see today. We are not eyewitnesses to Jesus. But we have the written record of all those Old Testament prophets who long to see Jesus. We have the written record of all those prophecies that have now been fulfilled, that have been pointing forward to Jesus. We see the fulfillment. We have the eyewitness testimony of those who walked with Jesus recorded for us. We have the written record of all of God's promises for the future. Notice in verse 24 that the disciples were not just blessed for seeing, but they were blessed for getting to hear. And brothers and sisters, we are similarly blessed. In fact, writing to Christians who lived after Jesus' death, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter that the prophets and angels longed to hear and know 
what they knew about the gospel and salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, prophets and angels longed to know what you know. They longed to hear what you have heard. I mean, that's amazing. As Pastor Mark Dever has said, we today live in the age of the ear and not the eye. But blessed are those who have heard the good news of Christmas. Blessed are those who have heard about Jesus' coming, who have heard about his sacrificial death on the cross, who have heard of his resurrection, and who have heard of his promises to come. As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes to the message about Christ. Friends, we live in the age of the ear and not the eye, but one day the age of the ear will give way to the age of the eye. We live by faith and not by sight, but one day our faith will be turned into sight when Jesus comes again for all to see. We will not just get to enter into his joy, but we will get to see our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face. In fact, that will be the reason for our joy. Again, brothers and sisters, that is good news of great joy. And so, friends, what should your response be to the message of Christmas? What should your response be to the salvation that has been revealed in the miraculous birth, the perfect life, the atoning death, and the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Friends, if you are here and and not a Christian, or maybe even, even as I have been speaking, you realize you have been trusting in your own goodness to find favor with God. Well, your response should be to give up your own efforts to earn your way to God. Give up your own efforts to earn your way to God. Your response must be to come to Jesus like a child. This is true whether you are an important person in this world or whether you are an unimportant person in this world. You must come humbly. You must humble yourself by confessing your sin that has separated you from God. Confess your inability to save yourself, and confess your need for Jesus. Friends, the good news of great joy that is for all the world is only good news for those who humble themselves. It is only good news for the meek and the lowly. Friends, it is not good news for those who think of themselves as wise and intelligent and mighty and strong, who want to stand on their own righteousness, who don't truly see their need for Jesus, who want to think that they are good enough and strong enough and wise enough to earn their way to God. Friends, your response must be to believe in Jesus and to humbly follow him so that one day God might say to you, come, share in your master's joy. Now, for those of you who, who are Christians, do not take the miracle of the incarnation for granted. But do not take the cross for granted. Do not take your salvation for granted. It's certainly possible to do so. I mean, just think how much we take air travel for granted today. You might have been amazed the first time you flew on a plane, but you're probably no longer amazed. You probably don't even think about it. You might try to take a nap. But think how amazed da Vinci would be to see our day. Brothers and sisters, let that be your wonder and your awe and your joy 
in knowing your Savior, Jesus Christ. Be constantly awed. Be constantly in wonder that the God of the universe would come to earth to suffer and die for you. Brothers and sisters, take time this Christmas to rejoice in your Savior. If you are a Christian, your joy is not fundamentally rooted in your circumstances. It is not ultimately based on what is going on in your life. Your joy has its source in the fact that Jesus humbled himself and came to earth and died for you. He lived for you, he died for you, and he has been raised for you all to the glory of the Father. The fount of your joy is that you have been brought into the joy of your triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So be comforted that though you may not be much in the world's sight, you are precious in God's sight. Now praise be to God. Because that is true, take time this Christmas to worship. When you go home this afternoon, especially if you've not opened gifts yet, maybe take time to sing some Christmas hymns together with those whom you gather with. Or maybe sing those words from How Great Thou Art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Let's pray.